This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Again, I, I, I welcome you. I ask you to go to Ma- uh, Luke 21. Luke 21. Now, just starting out here, if you've ever been to a water park, uh, you, you can go on this thing called the Lazy River. And when you walk down into that lazy river, you get on your little tube and you lay on it and you close your eyes and the next thing you know, you just take off. And you just go or end up where the current takes you without doing anything. It's effortless. That's why it's called the lazy river. Unless you purposely choose to get off or stop. And so many times in our life, that's the way our life is. If I'm not careful... I, I just go in that drift. I, I, get up, I get caught up in how the world moves unless I purpose to choose not to. That becomes a choice. And so he, even the Lord Jesus said, don't, don't be children that are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And in, that, in those passages there, Jesus also prayed John the Baptist. And he said, he's not a reed that should be shaken. In other words, he wasn't moved by what was going on with the world. He was committed to God. And so it's going to come out today, just my, my level of commitment to God. And, and I will tell you, some of this is going to wake you up a little bit, okay? I believe this is kind of a, a wake-up year. Luke 21, verse number 34. But take heed to yourselves. Interesting. Take heed to yourselves. You know, a lot of times we get so carried about or worried about everybody else, but he said specifically, take heed to yourselves. Lease your hearts be weighed down. Now, right there he gives me a warning that if he's warning me that my heart can be weighed down, that must be a possibility. And, and he says, don't be weighed down with carousing, which in a form is dissipation, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you unexpectedly. Interesting his warnings, huh? For it, that day will come as a snare or a trap on all those who dwell on the face of the old earth. Watch therefore and pray always. Not just once in a while, but always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Now, when Jesus says, watch and pray, there must be a reason he's telling us to do that. He's just not wanting us to waste our time. But he said specifically, we need to watch and pray. Because if we don't, things are going to happen like like a thief coming in the night. Things are going to begin to go down. Now, I'm not speaking that he's coming back this year, but he may. Now, turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew 24, and then you who are taking notes, I'll go back to Luke 17 after this. Matthew, chapter 24. And we'll begin in verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, he's talking about the second coming of Jesus. And he said specifically, no one knows. So it's useless or futile for me and and you to even go there. 
to waste our time on that. Because again, he said, nobody knows. Only Father God knows. Verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So now he's given us a little insight. Even though that we may not know the actual day and time that he comes, he gives us insight that as it was in the days of Noah, it will be very similar or look very close to how it was in, day, uh, in Noah's days. So how was it in Noah's days? Verse 38, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So now we go back and we look as in the days of Noah, he said, they were eating and they were drinking and they were marrying. And we look at that, it looks or appears very innocent. And so was God telling us don't eat, don't drink and don't get married? No, that's not what he was talking about. But when you look at eating, drinking and giving in marriage... Those all center around social influences. Normally when I go and eat, I'm with another person and I'm talking. When I, when I have a drink, whether it's a cup of coffee, I'm usually talking with someone else and then marrying. And so he's talking about social influences. But he's also talking about some things that could possibly be the appetites of my flesh. So was there anything wrong with that? No. Until that's the only thing I start living for. And I get so caught up in these things of life and eating and drinking. How many of you here have ever heard so much about eating and drinking as right now? I mean, if we started talking before long, we would say, Wow, have you seen this restaurant here? Have you seen that restaurant? Have you ever eaten here? Have you heard uh, about the latest Starbucks? The, the caramel macchiato with a half twist of vanilla and two shots of brevet and six different creams and... The, end is, the list is endless. And so it's become very, very popular right here. But what begins to happen is they lived unexamined lives. And in, in 2 Corinthians, the Lord Jesus said that we should examine ourselves. And so we must look at each other or have the thought even to heed my own self and say, does my life look more like God or does it look more like the world? And many people would say, well, I go to church. I'm a Christian. But does your life look any different than those who aren't Christians? And so we got to begin to take heed what he begins to talk about here. That when, when we get born again, did you know it says that in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that we are to confess Jesus as Lord so when I confess Jesus as Lord, I've changed places or the dominion I'm to live in. I'm now part of the kingdom of God, not a part of this world. And so don't you think if Jesus is Lord is my life, my life should resemble him in some ways? Thank you. There's two of you in agreement. Verse 39, and they did not know until the flood came. And they took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in a field, one will be taken, the other left. 
Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Watch. And if it didn't make any difference, then why does he tell us to watch? Because he tells us to watch for the opportunity to repent and bargain with God. It's over. When he shows up, it's over. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed this house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Be ready. Be ready. And so he gives us great insight right here to to stay aware. Be prepared. Now, go with me to the book of Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Now, I speak on this in the first service. And after the first service, one of the men in our church, he comes down and he says, Are you aware of what took place in Hawaii yesterday? And I said, yeah, I'm aware. And if you didn't know what took place yesterday, somebody accidentally hit a button or flipped a switch to warn all the people of Hawaii, you're under a missile attack. You have 20 minutes to get your stuff together. 20 minutes. Well, come to find out, it wasn't real. It shouldn't have happened. But he said... I have a daughter that lives out there. And I get a call yesterday and she said, Daddy, I don't know what to do. What do I do with incoming missiles? Now, as he began to talk about that, he said, I begin to think about what you're speaking about today, that the end time's going to show up. And these things are going to take place and it's, it's going to happen. Now, watch as we go a little farther with this today. In this next passage here in Luke 17, verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, and you said, you read that. Yeah, I did. Let's read it again. So it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, and they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, God gave Noah 120 years to tell him. He said, he's going to come back, guys. They laughed, they mocked him, they joked, and guess what? That day happened. Verse number 28, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, the people ate, the people drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven, and it destroyed them all. Now, both the time of Noah and the time of Lot, both of them ended the same way. But there were similar comparisons there. If you look at the days of Lot, they ate and they drank also. So it tells me food was a big deal back then, and so was drink. But this time, he adds a little more, and this is the Lord Jesus, and he says something interesting. They bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. Anything wrong with those things? No. That's how we make a living. But I believe the Lord Jesus was telling us here that everything that they mentioned there had to do with economics or opportunities to make a buck. The cares of this life. 
And so what happens is when we begin to give every amount of our energy to eating, to drinking, to economics, to the opportunity in life, we become unbalanced. And when I become unbalanced, I become detached from God. And so when you look at this right here, it's like our life is a, a pie. And that pie has only so many slices. And in this situation, that pie had six slices. It had one for eating, one for drinking, one for buying, one for selling, one for planting, and one for building. So guess how much was left to God? God, you get the boot. Now, we wouldn't say that out loud. I'm booting God out of my life. But before long, because of my choices of these things that are going to impact the same as they did in Lot's days, we begin to squeeze God out of our lives. Woo! Interesting, huh? He goes on to say, Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So guess what he's telling us? When Jesus comes back, it's going to be very, very, very similar. Now, I didn't say this when we were talking about in Noah's days, but if you were to go back and look at Noah's days, and you can study it, it's all in Genesis 6. It said the earth began to become very violent, and lawlessness or wickedness began to abound. How many of you would say that not only America, but the world we live in, has become quite a bit more violent in the tw last 20 years. Yeah. And so those are things we've got to begin to look at. Again, the Lord doesn't give us specific times. He said, don't waste your time on calculations or speculations or dates. Just watch. Watch and pray and be ready. So I begin to look here about the days of of uh, Lot. So I want you to go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 13. And we're going to dive in here a little bit more on the days of Lot so it begins to help me and you understand what's going on that was happening in their days that'll look very similar or almost like a mirror to our days. Genesis chapter 13 verse 1. Then Abram went up from Egypt he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot went with him to the south. So, let me fill in the blanks here a little bit just to, to tell you where we're at. Lot is Abraham's nephew. And in Genesis 12, the Lord told Lot, he said, Man, you've got to get out of your father's house and from your own homeland. You've got to move to another place. And God specifically said to him, If you obey me, he said, I'll bless you, I'll multiply you, I'll make your name great, and I'll bless you to be a blessing. So Abraham obeys. This is what Abraham's doing. He's, he's, he's gone from there now. Verse 2. Abraham was very rich in livestock and in silver and gold. You know what the message says? The message says he was loaded. Now when he left the, the, the land of his father, he, wasn't ha he didn't have all that. He wasn't like that. And so... God began to fulfill in his life the blessings that he told him about. So this shows me a couple things. God's not against you being blessed. God wants us to be blessed. But there's a way he wants us to be blessed. His way. Verse 3. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been. 
at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. Now he says, at the beginning, at the starting point, verse 5, or verse 4, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So it, it gives me two words there. It says, at the beginning and the first. At the beginning and the first of Abraham's life, he had made it a habit to hang out with God. He had made it a habit already in his life to say, you know what? I'm going to go to the altar. And when I come to the altar, the altar is a place I worship. The altar is a place I praise. I raise my hands to him. I give him thanks. The altar is a place I come before God and I repent. The altar is a place where he would even bring the first fruits of all his increase. And so when you look at this guy named Abraham's life, it was a pattern of always, I got to get to the altar. I, get to, I got to hang around God. And the last of verse 4, he said, he called on the name of the Lord. So you know what he's saying? God, I give you my devotion. It's all because of you, Father God. Verse 5. Lot also went with Abraham, and he had flocks and herds and tents. Now, in this part here about Lot, it shows that he has stuff too. The only thing I can't prove one way or another, I don't know how often Lot went to the altar with Uncle Abraham. I have this thought. The only reason he may have ever gone, if he did actually go, was, you know what, I, I just want to do it because my uncle wants me to. I really could care less about that God stuff. Now, you watch how this will play out in his life. Verse 6. Now, the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. These guys were blessed. Incredibly. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. You know what the strife was birthed from? I want more. They had so much already, but there became greed for more. Then he goes on to say to end verse 8, or verse 7. And the herdsmen of Lot's livestock, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, they dwelt in the land. So Abraham said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me. And between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. We're brothers. Now look what he, he says to do. This is a great part here. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. Please separate from me. You know that separation is a strong principle of Christian living. There's got to be a separation. Separation from the things of the world to a separation to God. That's what the word sanctification means. It means sanctified. I mean, it means set apart. Separated. And, and when you look at this, this also has the meaning, i got to get away from, from ungodly people. Proverbs 13, 20 says, the, one who, the wise who runs with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. And so every one of us in this, this, this room right now, that we've lived for God very long, to really live for God, there was a separation of my life. And the separation of my life, when I had a problem, I was addicted to stupid people. Some of you are addicted to stupid people. I used to be a stupid people. You wouldn't want to run around me before I gave my heart to Jesus, because if you did, my life was marked with sin. 
And so again, even in this area's life, he said, there's got to be a separation. Keep reading. If you take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. So you know what, you know what uh, Abe, Abe says to nephew Lot? You go whichever way you want. You know why Abraham said that? He knew, wherever I go, God's going to take care of me. Wherever I'm at, God's going to take care of me. He's going to bless me. Verse 10. And Lot lifted his eyes, and he saw all the plain of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Now, Lot was only ruled by his physical eyes. Lot didn't see with the eyes of faith. He was dominated by what his physical eyes, and he said, Woo, there's all the water. There's everything I need to get more. I'm going to have so much more. Goes on to say in verse 10. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zor. Then Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan. Now, when Lot chose this, guys, he was fully aware of the reputation of the sin of the people of Sodom. But he still chose them. And he said, that's where I'm going to live. Now, every one of us in here, we're confronted with choices. But understand this. God will always give you the consequences of your choices. So many times, when we pick something in life and things don't go well, we get mad and say, God, it's your fault. Well, God didn't say, I'm the one who told you. You're the one who asked her to marry you. I didn't tell you to marry her. But God, it's your fault. See, again, this is where Abraham saw the difference between what Lot saw. Keep reading. And so they Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities on the plain, pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. The men of, of Sodom were sinful and wicked against the Lord. This begins to give you a little bit of insight as it was at the days of Lot. So it will be in the second coming of man. So now let me paraphrase some of this for what's going to take place. When you get to chapter 18 in Genesis, the Bible specifically says that the sin of the people of Sodom was so grave, so grave that God said, I got to destroy it. I've got to destroy it. Their sin. So this tells me here that when the sin of mankind reaches a certain level in the eyes of God, God says, enough. Enough. And I highlight that again because our world is, is rapidly multiplying in sin. Where it's almost applauded. And so... God tells this angel, or these angels, several of them, he said, listen, fellas, he said, we're going to have to destroy Sodom. It's gotten so bad. The sin is so great. But he said this, too. He said, how can I destroy Sodom without letting Abraham know what I'm fixing to do? And you know what that tells me there? God still partners with the righteous on this earth. As if his God was saying, I, I can't destroy it without telling Abraham, the man of God here on earth, what I'm fixing to do. 
So God tells Abraham, he said, Abe, I'm going to destroy Sodom. The sin is so bad. And Abraham looked at God or he spoke to God and he said, Far be it from you, Father God. Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? What a statement. He was saying to God, God, would you really wipe out the righteous, the godly people of Sodom with the wicked? Far be it from you. And so he says, that's not your character, Father God. And then Abraham gets in a little chess match with God. Now, the interesting about the chess match with God that Abraham had, when he said, God, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And God said, no. He doesn't start at 100,000. He said, Lord, if there was 100,000, would you, would you spare? He didn't even start at 10,000. He didn't even start at 1,000. He doesn't even start at 100. He starts at 50. And he said, God, if I find, or if you find 50 righteous on the earth, would you destroy them? And God said, I wouldn't do it. So now he says, how about 45, 40, 30, 20? He gets all the way down to 10. And God said, if there's 10 righteous, I won't destroy it. Now, turn with me to, to Genesis 19. Genesis 19. And look with me in verse 12. Then the men, and this is talking about angels, they said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in this city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because... Now there was a because factor. Because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So God says, enough. I'm going to destroy it. Now this is one of the most heart-wrenching and grievous parts of this whole story to me. God couldn't find ten righteous. He couldn't find ten. And when I study these two passages, in Noah's ark, there was only eight that made it. In this story here in Sodom and Gomorrah, only four make it. And it's if God was scanning to see, is, is there ten righteous? Is there ten that are sold out and committed to me? And he couldn't find it. They weren't nowhere to be found. As it was in the days of Lot, so it will be in the second coming of man. Verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, Get up. Get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. And the reason he seemed to be joking 
His lot had become so callous to sin like they were. And he had become so hard-hearted to sin like they were that no one would listen to him. And instead of him shaping the environment, he, in, he, he made, allowed the environment to shape him. And it's interesting, his sons-in-laws and said, you're joking. You're joking. And I wonder in our day how many people would say, you're joking. I've been alive for 57 years, and as long as I can remember, people have said, Jesus is coming back soon, and he's still not here. Do you really believe in that stuff? You're joking. And as if his sons-in-laws mocked him, this will become a sign of our times. As it was in the days of Lot, so it will be in the second coming of man. Keep reading. Verse 15. When the, dawn, the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry. Pick up the pace. Pick up the pace. Arise, take your wife, your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, while he hesitated, you know why it says he lingered and he hesitated? Because he was so tied to his possessions that he had. It was almost like, I, I can't leave, I can't leave my camels and I can't leave my golf clubs and I can't. And yet the angels were warning, it's fixing to be destroyed. And, and, and Lot gets in by the hair of his chinny chin chins, how he gets in. And when you read the story, the minute he got out of the city, the whole place was wiped out. And they're strolling out of there and the Lord had warned him and said, whatever you do, don't look back or you'll be destroyed. And Lot's wife must have thought she, that he was joking because he turned around, or she turned around. and So really in that sense, you know how many of them made it? As it was in the days of Lot, so will be in the second coming of man. So we begin to see in the days of Lot, they were blessed. It wasn't a poor time. He had everything imaginable, it said. But he got so caught up in life that he put God on hold. And in a roundabout way, without saying it, he booted God out. I wish we had all been ready. There's a song that says, there's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. And I can tell you this right now. Three times last week. I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm not, I'm not speaking on that stuff. I don't know if you've ever been rebuked by God. The first time it was pretty sweet. The time the third time rolled around, it was like I was saluting with the fear of God. And the Lord was saying, don't play. Don't play. And so some things I sense from this passage for 2018, it'll be a year of separation. It'll be a year that there will be spiritual lines that are drawn in the sand. And you'll either be in or you'll be out. And so this becomes a wake-up a wake day, a wake-up service. 
I want to put some hope in you too. In James 5, starting around verse 15, 16, 17, 18, he talks about prayer. And he says, the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man benefits much. Now I say that because God honored the prayers of a righteous man named Abraham. And that's why I said a minute ago that old nephew Lot made it by the hair of his chinny chin chin. The reason he made it is he had a righteous man that prayed and stood for him. So I tell you guys, pray. Pray. As even C. Hammer said years ago, we got to pray just to make it today. I say we pray. I'm not going to wrap it. I'm not going to bust it out for you, okay? I want to stir you up to pray. God still hears the prayers of the righteous, the ones who say, Father God, we call out to you in the name of Jesus. We call out to you in devotion to you today. We look to you today. And again, I'm not here to say he's coming back this year. But what if he does? What if he does? Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.